But when the high priest rose and all that were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. But then the captain of the guard, or, or now when the captain of the, of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this could come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought, and brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Israel with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God has exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. I got one attached to my face, so I don't need that one. Good morning. Good morning. So, have you heard of a guy by the name of Ronald Wayne? Ronald Wayne? Ronald Wayne, probably not, right? Uh, some of you have, some of you haven't. Ronald Wayne was actually uh, the th- third co-founder of Apple. And uh, gone down in history as uh, making one of the biggest investment mistakes of all time. Because in 1976, he sold his 10% share in Apple for $800. Yeah, 10%. Do you have any idea what 10% of Apple stock is today, how much that would be worth. Uh, Apple is worth over about $2 trillion, over $2 trillion. So 10% of $2 trillion is $200 billion. You imagine that? $200 billion. Can I make you want to go back in time and go to Ronald Wayne and say, dude, Hang on to that 10% stock in Apple. If you can just hang on through the ups and the downs, through the difficulties of it all, buddy, you are going to come out, set up for a life in your family, set up for generations, $200 billion. Or maybe you'd go back in time and say, hey, I'll give you $801 for your 10% stock in Apple. Whatever it would be, man, wouldn't it be great to know that the thing that you're investing in is going to be a sure thing? Wouldn't it be great to know that this thing you're investing in is really going to have worth and value? And I want to say to you, I want you to get behind the thing that God is behind. And I want you to invest in what God is for. And if we can do that, man, I'm telling you, do you know this? Do you know that you, you, you do invest 
everybody here invests. And you may not invest money in a stock, but you invest your time, your energy, your, your heart, maybe even your money into something. And maybe you're investing in your own happiness. I want to do what makes me happy. And you're living for the weekend and you're doing all the things for the pleasure of life and okay, you're investing in something. Or maybe you're investing in your security. I just need to feel safe. I just need to feel safe. You're investing in that and setting everything up to be sure you're safe for a lifetime. You're investing in something and I want to encourage you to invest in the thing that God is for. And this text shows us that God is for the protection and the proliferation of his church. And that shouldn't be surprising at all. Because the Bible says this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Matthew 16, 18, he says this, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, the rock of Jesus Christ, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're not talking about some hack like Steve Jobs. We're talking about building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to put your investment, your time, but it's something that is a for sure, for sure thing because if God is behind something and God brings all his resources and all his beings to bear, it's going to be worth something, not just money. What would you do with $200 billion? After the real-life Millennium Falcon, I don't know what else I would do with $200 million, billion. I have no idea. But a million years from now, it's not going to matter. But if we're investing in the work of the church, this is the big idea of the day. Here's what it is. Give yourself to the work of the church. Give yourself to the work of the church. And if we're investing in the work of the church, man, that's going to be worth eternity. And this text, I believe, gives us several ways in which we can do this. Let's see these things together. Uh, how do we do that? How do we invest in the work of the church? Three actions to take. Here's action number one. You need to teach God's word. Teach God's word. How do we invest in the, to the work of the church? We'll do this, teach God's word. Well, why are you bringing that up, Pastor? Good question. So uh, I say often that uh, I want to make the point of the sermon, the point of the, the text, and uh, what Luke does for us in an awesome way here is at the end of this whole story, which actually goes all the way to verse 42, and I'm going to unpack the end of this next week. We'll take a look at verse 42 to see Luke's summary. Luke often gives these summary statements at the end of these stories to give us a hint as to why they're there. And I want you to see this in Acts uh, chapter 5, verse 42, where he says this, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. So you have this element of teaching and preaching, and that's been repeated all over the text. Uh, take a look back with me and see how often this comes up. Take a look at verse 20. They were to speak to the people all the words of this life. Verse 21, and when they heard this, the end of the temple at daybreak, it began to teach. To be pointed out later in verse 25, the word they're doing, what they're teaching the people. You see, in verse number 28, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name, but you're filling Jerusalem with your teaching. You see it over and over again. This is coming up again and again, and we saw it again in 42. They were teaching and preaching. The idea of teaching runs through this text, but let your eyeballs specifically fall back on verse number 20. So here we have the apostles arrested, but, but, verse number 19, during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. Now, by the way, that's a miracle. That's a sign and a wonder. And, and I believe that there are angels, and I believe the Bible teaches in the angelic realm, and, and we hold to that and believe in that. And 
I'd love to unpack that more for you at some point in time, but here's what I want you to see, because I know that last week maybe you got a little nervous talking about miracles and the emphasis on miracles. I want to say this to you very clearly. Miracles are there for a purpose, and here's the purpose. So here's the miracle in verse number 19, but here's the purpose now, verse number 20. Go and stand in the temple and speak to all the people the words of this life. Hey, teach, teach. The emphasis clearly needs to be not on the miraculous, but on the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. They were to teach. And that's an emphasis all throughout the Bible. I'm going to flip back over in my Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Do you know what Deuteronomy 6 says here? O Israel, verse number 4, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these things I have commanded you should be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. What are we going to teach our kids, church? What to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our being. All of it is to love our God. That's so important. We also see this in Nehemiah. I've been studying the book of Nehemiah. I just finished studying Nehemiah in my devotions. And, and I love verse eight, or chapter 8, verse 8, when they said they read from the book of the, of the law clearly, and they gave the sense so the people understood the reading, teaching the word of God all throughout the Bible. We also see this clearly in uh, chapter, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And before we get there, actually, a couple things. Uh, let's look at the text here at what he sh- we share in verse 29. So he says, hey, teach all the words of this life, all the words of this life. And you'll notice in the ESV, do you see this? The word life is capitalized, all the words of this life. Well, that's a little bit of an interpretation as to what they mean by life, but I think it's okay, because what they're saying is that, that this is somebody, this is a person, this is Jesus. They taught the words of Jesus, and that holds up. Because I want you to look at verse number 29 of of, of chapter uh, chapter 5, verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. Hey, what is that? Repentance? Forgiveness through Jesus, that's a good story. What's that called? That's called the, the gospel. They preached the gospel. I want you to say, it's the gospel. Say it. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. That's what they preached. But specifically that Jesus Christ is the answer. And that's what we see in verse number 42. And every day in the temple from house to house, and that's just from teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They preached Jesus. Now, there's an interesting word uh, given to Jesus here in verse number 31. God exalted him at his right hand. When I was reading this the first time, this word stuck out to me as leader and savior. Leader, that's a strange word, leader. You look it up in the Greek, here's the idea of what it means. Like the founder of a city, the, the hero of the story. It made me think of Lafayette, Indiana. You've, anyone been to Lafayette, Indiana before? You've heard of Lafayette? For sure you've heard of Lafayette? No one's heard of Lafayette? Raise your hand if you've heard of Lafayette. Thank you. All right, good. Not alone. So uh, uh, Lafayette, weird name. That's a weird name. Well, it's the name of a dude. It's the name of a guy, a French man, the, the Marquis de Lafayette. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, that, you have to say that every time you use a French word, you know, I've got to get a little French. Uh, but the, the Marquis de Lafayette was a Frenchman who fought in the Revolutionary War. All you Hamilton fans know this really well. 
And, uh, but he also, he, he did a lot for our country. Well known, went back to France and tried to lead the revolution there as well. But, 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 he, but Lafayette, Indiana is named after the Marquis de Lafayette, the hero of the story. And, and Jesus is the hero of the story. And if we preach and teach, we have to preach and teach the words of Jesus and teaching and preaching such an important thing. And it's our commandment today. It's my commandment today. Here's 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 4, 5. You know 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And I memorized this when I was a kid. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Yeah. Do you believe the Bible you hold in your hand is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness? The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I want to be ready to do whatever you've asked me to do, God. Well, then go to his word and learn his word. And then uh, Paul tells Timothy, starting in chapter 4, very clearly, he says this, and I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in kingdom. He's really setting this up. I want to tell you in the presence of God and Jesus is going to be the judge of all. Here's what you need to do. Read the underlined words with me. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander to, into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure the suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, teaching, teaching. Church, this is, this is not just something that we think is cool for a season that we do. This is a deep, deep conviction found in the word of God that what we primarily focus on here at Redemption Bible Church is the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. Amen? Amen. You happy that, you happy that the preachers preach the word of God? Are you happy for that? Yeah. Is, it, is it our job? Yeah. Is, it, is it just our job? Look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. I uh, unpacked this for the folks over the soul care class this week, but I want you to see it as well. Uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Isn't that awesome? So again, who's the hero of the story? It's Jesus. Man, let his words, the words of life, same thing we see in Acts, man. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now watch this. Teaching and admonishing one another singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. He's the hero. And giving thanks to God through him. Two words used there that you're to do to one another, teaching and admonishing. Let's talk about the difference between these two things, teaching and admonishing. Teaching is the word didasko in the Greek and has the idea of, of this, to provide instruction in a formal manner, to provide instruction in a formal manner. So what I'm doing right now is I'm teaching and preaching the word. I'm standing up and saying, this is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. And so we, we do that on a regular basis here. And, and you probably have times and you sit down with your kids and you teach them. And it's that formal teaching. Teaching, but it's not just teaching, the dasko. There's another word in here, teaching and admonishing. That word admonish in the Greek is nithetao, and it has a, a, a deeper meaning. It means this, to advise someone concerning the dangerous consequences of some happening or action. You checking with that? You, you're on a pathway, and that pathway isn't good. 
you're doing something and that something you're doing isn't healthy and you need to stop doing that. It's not according to the words of Christ. The way you're living right now is not in accordance with, with Jesus. It's not okay. And you've got to turn from that. It's, 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 it's intense. And, and it's, it's based in, founded in, the words of Christ dwelling in us richly. So we love Jesus. He's the hero. And we want to see that happening. And when it's not happening, we have to admonish. So, so, so who does this? Admonish, what does it say? One another. So yeah, it's me admonishing you, but it's also you admonishing each other. Larry, come here for a second, would you, buddy? Let me show you what this looks like. This is not true of Larry. So this example I'm going to give, it's going to feel a little intense, but this is not true of Larry. Are you tracking with me on this? Okay. But let's just pretend. We're pretending now. Taking the trolley to make-believe land, okay? (laughs) And so here we are, we're in make-believe land, and I got Larry here. So Larry's in my small group, and in several weeks in a row, he's like, dude, man, I just drank too much again on Friday night. I just got drunk again. I was so stupid, I just got drunk. And, and next week, yeah, guys, I just got drunk again on, on Friday night again, but I just had too many and just got drunk again. And like three or four or five times this is happening. And so now what do I do? He's talking about these things, he's admitting this. Bible says something about alcohol. Yeah, I mean, God has given wine to make merry the heart of men. I get that. But it also says, do not be drunk with wine. So I have a choice. Do I just let that go? That's easy, right? Let that go. I don't want to interfere in his life. Larry's got his thing. I got my thing, blah, 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 blah. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to nutheteo, to call to the mind, to point out the danger he's on. So I'd come to Larry and I'd say, Larry, this drinking that you're doing, this over-drinking, like, like that's not healthy. That's not good. It's got to stop, man. And, and, and why are you there? Why are you doing that? Are you trying to escape? Is, is life just too stressful for you, so you've got to escape into the bottle? Can I say to you that where's Jesus in all that? He should be your, Larry, come on. He should be your comfort. He should be your, your joy. He should be your security. And you should be going to him. Nothing is really happening, Larry. We need to talk about that. But probably, it's not Larry, it's an example, but you get the idea of like, like this is nutheteo. This is nutheteo. This is admonishing. Thanks, buddy. You're all real concerned for Larry now, I know. Just pray for him, okay? Just pray for him. <laughs> but but, that, but that's, that's, that, that's doing life with one another. And so that's just not just me. That's us. Say it's us. Okay. That's an investment, because that's not easy. That's an investment of emotional energy. That's an investment of time. That's a potential investment of a friendship. Like that, that's at stake there. And, 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 but, but I want to invest in something that matters. I want to invest, and maybe Larry needs that to get him on a bad, better pathway. So, you tracking on this? They taught the Word of God, 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 and we're to teach the Word of God. They sent an angel to get them out of prison so they can teach the Word of God. We should be teaching the Word of God because we believe the Word is His. Now, a couple of questions in application. Who are you teaching? What would keep you from admonishing someone else who needs it? Do people feel okay admonishing you? Do you live in the gospel enough that they'd be okay with that? Are you doing life with people in such a way that this kind of investment is going on? 
All right, several things here. Teach the word. Also this, stand for God's truth. Teach God's word, stand for God's truth. Stand for God's truth. Take a look at the text with me again. I want to just show you that this is what's happening. So they're teaching God's word, living for the Lord. And what happens when you teach God's word and you live for the Lord? Well, but the high priest rose and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. Opposition happens. Persecution happens. Well, hold a second. You're going to teach about opposition and persecution again? I mean, you've already taught us in the book of Acts on persecution and opposition. We're going to go there again. Well, yeah, we are because the text goes there again and repetition is a key teacher. And we have to repeat lessons over and over and over again. It's in the word of God frequently and therefore it's going to be in the preaching frequently that we stand and we teach and we repeat the lessons that God does. If this is a quote, if I can share this, this is a quote from... Um, uh, research.net, uh, researchgate.net, uh, which says this, uh, the deepest ahas spring from an encounter and then a return. Repeating the encounter fuses into one's awareness. One of the biggest mistakes a teacher can make is to forgo the return on repetition or, rep or repetition. So yeah, we've talked about it again. We've already done that in the text. Remember how we said earlier, it's the gospel, and you said, it's the gospel, and you're probably like, oh man, the gospel again, we're going to hear about the gospel again. Yeah, often, frequently, because God's word's repeated, and I want to help you to see how often God's word goes back to the basis of the gospel, repetition, now opposition, opposition, and it's going to come up again and again in the text. So let's first of all talk about the surety of opposition, the surety of opposition, because here's the reality I want to say to you, it shouldn't surprise us that they're being opposed because when you live for Jesus, you will face persecution. When you live for Jesus, you will face persecution. And it's gonna be in the text again, it's gonna ramp up, but the Bible says this clearly in 2 Timothy 3, 12, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus said it himself in John 15, 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world, what does it say? Hates you, the world hates you. All right. Are we like the world? Are there some things that we must stand on that the world will hate us for standing on? Uh, this month is Pride Month. I was sent this, um, Courtney came on her feet, she sent it to me, this is a church, this is their social media post this week, and uh, here's what they say, you're a child of God, created with intention and love, your identity is the work of God, and what they mean by identity is whatever gender you identify with is the work of God, and God sees their work and calls it good, isn't that interesting? Calls it beloved and cherished, happy Pride Month beloved, the insinuation that God created people uh, that way. And here's, here's, okay, what do we believe about this book? Do we believe it's the Word of God? Yeah. All right, so then what do we do with texts like Romans 1? For this reason, God gave them up to, what does it say? For the women exchange the natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up the natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing Church, shameful acts with men receiving in themselves 
the due penalty of their error. Well, that's not very loving. Okay, it's God's word. And, and are we going to all of a sudden now abandon our historical, grammatical, literal interpretation of Scripture because the world doesn't like this? And is it loving to abandon the truth? I have cancer. Well, we're going to ignore that cancer because we think that's going to be loving and you live in the ignorance of your cancer. That's not loving. And God's word says what God's word says. And the church in America is wholesale abandoning this clear teaching of the Bible and running to be what the world wants. And if we stand on the truth, man, we stand on the truth, the world is going to hate us for this. And right now, this is massively a problem in the church. But we're going to stand on God's word. Now, do we have to be jerks doing it? No, we shouldn't be. In fact, Paul taught Titus this, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict. So yes, standing on the word of God, but doing it not in arrogance, not in, not in hatred, but in love. And we should be loving, but never stepping away from the truth of the word of God. And it's not a popular teaching today. And I'm okay with that because we teach the Word of God. It's coming. You stand on the Word of God, it's coming. And let me tell you why it's coming. Talk about the surety of the persecution. Let's look at the source of the persecution. The text actually reveals why they persecuted. Verse number 17 again, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the part of the Sadducees, and they were filled with, what does it say in your Bible? Jealousy. They were filled with jealousy. Well, why were they so jealous? Well, look back at the text a little bit. Look at verse number 14. This is why they were jealous. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So they had all these people that were beginning to follow. And I remember preaching through John. And in John, time and time again, you saw this element of the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees who loved the adoration of, of the people. They loved how the people adored them and they would wear their, their garments and they would pray in the public squares and everyone, oh, they're so awesome. Those Pharisees are so righteous and they loved that. And when Jesus threatened that by calling them a brood of vipers, when Jesus threatened that by calling themselves righteous, they, boy, they hated Jesus for it so much they wanted to kill him and eventually they did. And now here are the Sadducees. They never had this crowd of people like they have and they're, but these apostles are gathering up to now probably right 20,000 people were gathering and hearing the teaching of the apostles and, and they were jealous of that. And let me just say a quick word here that the love of the approval of man goes really, really deep. It goes really deep. And not just in the world. It goes really deep in us. We love the approval of man. Even people say to me, no, I don't really care what people think. That's more you trying to convince yourself that you don't care what people think than you actually don't care what people think. Chances are you really do care what people think. But think about what else you have in Christ that the world doesn't have. Man, if you live, you live your life with Jesus, 
at the center of your life. You live your life with Jesus as the hero of the story and you live in his love and his grace and you love him back and you trust him deeply. You're gonna have a peace that passes understanding. The world would love to have that peace. Man, you're gonna have a joy. And if you're living like that, Jesus as the hero of your story and you're living in that, man, you're gonna have a joy a fullness of joy. Jesus promised it in John 15, 11, these things I've spoken to that my joy may be in you and that your joy, church, may be full. Yeah, they're gonna have fullness of joy. They're gonna look at your life, they're gonna see a peace, a security, a joy that they don't have. And how'd you get it? By embracing Jesus. And if they embrace Jesus, they're going to do so at the loss of friends, at the loss of fame. You can't have both the adoration of men and a life lived for Jesus. You're not going to have that. And so they hate you because you stand for something and, and they're jealous of what you have. So we see the surety. We see the source and the jealousy of people. But then we also see them standing, the stand in the persecution, the stand in the persecution. And they stand firm in God's word through all of this. And look at the text here and watch them make this stand in verse number 27. Check this out now. And when they had heard, they brought them and set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you are, you've filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter said and answered, we must obey God rather than men. By the way, for those of us who struggle with uh, the adoration of men, how about that verse for a memory verse? <laughs> we must obey God rather than men. But look at verse number seven. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him in his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel, forgiveness of sins. And we are, what's the word you have there, church? We are witnesses, witnesses, witnesses. They're bold, but where did that boldness come from? That boldness comes from someplace. And boldness comes from your confidence in your calling. Boldness comes from confidence in your calling. And what's your calling? Well, you're a witness. Just consider Acts 1.8, which says this, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. This is who you are. You're a witness. I want you to say, I'm a witness. Now, how you identify yourself will strongly change the way in which you act. You know this? How you identify yourself will impact the way you act. So uh, we got Landon in a, a different car, and this is his uh, new Subra, uh, Subaru, Subaru Impreza. And do you notice the awesome spoiler on the back of that thing? And uh, it's also got a five-speed manual transmission. And it has a straight pipe exhaust. And uh, so for the first couple of days, I had to drive it just to be sure it was going to be okay for him. You know what I mean? Like I just had to a little bit. It's got to be licensed and all that. So I, just took, I took the keys for a couple of days. And uh, uh, um, man, I'm telling you, I was 18 again. Uh, you know, blasting journey and don't stop believing. You know, as me, I was driving that car because the environment in which I was in changed my identity, and then I acted accordingly. And how you identify yourself will impact the way you feel and act. 
We're going to go in a couple weeks. My family and I are going to go to Mackinac Island, Michigan. And the whole point of Mackinac Island is like to bring you back in time, you know, and make you feel like you're, you're, you're back in the good old days, I guess. And if you were to go eat at the Grand Hotel at night, you can't enter the Grand Hotel unless you have a coat and a tie on because they want to set an atmosphere and they want you to act accordingly. Now, who are you? You walk around every day and you have an identity. Listen, church, this is why the world is trying to rob identities of people. And you need to have a primary identity. The thing you put on is you're a witness of Jesus Christ. Who, who are you? Well, I'm the number one salesman at Widgetco. When are you going to act like the number one salesman at Widgetco? I'm a mother of four. Then you're going to act and dress and talk and post pictures of your kids because you're a mother of four. I'm a cat shaver. Then you're going to post pictures of shaven cats, which would be awesome, by the way. Please do that this week. <laughs> but you're a witness. You're a witness. And a witness to what? I, I love this. In Acts chapter 4, we see this. This is earlier in the text, right? Acts chapter 4, where they're beaten and they're released and they're before the council again. And they say this in Acts 4, uh, 19. They say this. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than man, you must judge. For we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. Listen, if you're living with Jesus Christ as the hero of the story, if you're living him as the center of it all and you're loving him and you're being loved by him and this is how you live your life, man, you're just not gonna be able to help but talk about all the things that God has done. Andrew Peterson, he's the guy who wrote, Is He Worthy? He also wrote, he's wrote a lot, a lot of songs and a really good um, mystery uh, series as well called The Wing Feather Saga, but um, he wrote a song from the perspective of the apostles, okay? So he put himself in the sandals of the apostles and he wrote a song kind of based on Acts chapter four. The song says this, uh, from, again, from the perspective of one of the apostles, he says this, I've seen so much that cannot be explained and I realize it's a mystery of faith, but my friend was dead and he walked out of the grave and I knew that the world would never be the same. I saw too much when I looked into the eye of the one I love and the one who loves me and there was nowhere left to hide. In another part of the song, he gets really personal and he says this, it's all I can do to get up in the morning, all I can do to stand up in the storm, when all I remember is the passing form, a glimpse of the glory before it was gone and I get so tired of this ridicule. But I cannot deny what I know to be true. Let me say that again. I get so tired of this ridicule. You stand for Jesus, you're gonna get that. But listen, we cannot deny what we know to be true because I've seen too much. What else can I do? Where else can I go, Lord? Where else can I go but to you? What have you seen? What have you seen God do in your life and the lives of other people? How much have you been loved by God and you're walking in that every day? but maybe that stand is hard for you. And maybe it's hard to witness to something that you don't really see because Jesus is more on the peripheral than in the center. Jesus is more of something that is 
kept at arm's length in reality. Because to embrace Christ would mean to distance yourselves from the approval of men. Maybe you've done that. I want to challenge you to stand, to take a stand. This is what an investment in the work of Christ is going to cause, call us to. Take a stand. Uh, it may cost friends. It may. Uh, it may cost political capital, so to speak. <laughs> but give it a million years, and that's not going to matter so much anymore. And those who come to know Christ will matter more. All right, last one. Thank you for your patience. Teach God's word. Stands for God's truth. Lastly, this. Trust in God's sovereignty. Trust in God's sovereignty. This is awesome because sometimes standing for Christ does get hard and it does get dark. Take a look at verse number 17. But the high priest rose and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy and they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. That's pretty dark until you get to verse number 19. But... During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. Isn't that awesome? God delivered. And sometimes God's going to deliver us. And sometimes he'll do it miraculously. He'll do the incredible things to show us he's for us. But does he always deliver? That is a little bit of a trick question. Go to chapter 12 of Acts. Chapter 12 of verse X. Uh, chapter 12 of verse X. You guys pay me to do this. That's bad. Acts chapter 12, verse number 1. Acts 12, 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Does God always deliver? Well, where did James end up? <laughs> so yes, God always delivers. Not always the way we expect or want, but he always delivers. He always cares for us. And so our response needs to be, we trust him no matter what. Now, let me bolster this up by sharing Daniel chapter 3 with you. This is the attitude we need to have. Daniel chapter 3, verse number 16 says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, remember these guys? Nebuchadnezzar said, bow down to my statue. If you don't bow down to my statue, I'm throwing you in the fiery furnace. So he said, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. This, if this be so... Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Live or die, we are going to serve God, not our idols. And their answer is simply this. We trust God no matter what. I want you to say that with me. We trust God no matter what. No matter what, we trust the Lord. Live or die, I'm trusting Jesus. And I'm going to invest my life into something. And I want to invest my life into the thing that God is behind. And I want to invest my life into the thing I know will have eternal impact.
So I want to invest my life into Christ. So how do I do that? Well, church, I do that by teaching his word, by standing, and by trusting. And he will do it for his glory. I'm going to pray. God, thank you for your grace and your love and your goodness. Thank you for just this word you've given us today right here in this book. And Lord, I pray for us as a people. It's getting harder and harder. The world's getting darker and darker. It's more and more antagonistic against the teaching of your word, especially now. It feels like it's worse than ever. But as a darkness gets darker, the light shines brighter, and we are the ones who carry the light. And I pray, Father, that we will do that and teach your word unashamedly and make that stand and trust you through it all. And do that work in us, Father, and bring many to salvation. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Redemption. You are loved.